privilege to be here with you, and we appreciate your hospitality and your invitation. My name is Jeff Langley, and I'm the Executive Assistant to the Director for North Dakota Teen Challenge, and I have been working with North Dakota Teen Challenge since the 28th of December. And about three and a half weeks later, I was given the church events. <laughs> Prior to that, I've been working with Global Teen Challenge. If you're not aware of the organizational structure of the ministry, Teen Challenge USA covers all the United States. Global is everything outside the United States. So I've been traveling to the Caribbean, mainly to Jamaica, for the last two years, working with the regional director as well as the Jamaica executive director, uh, Dwayne Henders and Anthony Richards. So it's just a privilege to be here with you this morning. Out here, this is the part of the state I haven't been to before. Um, I've always wanted to come to this area, but I just never had a chance to come here. And so we came up 22, like you suggested, and we saw the north, the north unit. And I remember the north unit. I've been to the north unit, but I didn't remember this area. So, And I know some of our students have not been to this area. So it was just a beautiful drive despite the wind and the, and the snow and the ice. So it was just a beautiful drive to see, to see God's creation. Uh, if you're not aware of what Teen Challenge is, allow me just, just a couple of minutes to explain to you. Uh, we are located in Mandan, and we're actually the North Dakota Adult Men's and Women's Center of Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge was a ministry that began in 1958 when a young country preacher from Pennsylvania, out in the middle of nowhere, just like we are right now, saw a New York City newspaper where seven young boys were accused of murdering a disabled kid on the streets of New York City. And God moved on his heart, and he went to New York City, and he got into the courtroom with all the press. It was quite sensational, to say the least. And he got into the courtroom, and the judge promptly threw him out. And after he threw him out, he was standing in the hallway, and of course it created such a ruckus that the, the newspapers started badgering him, saying, who are you? And he started to tell his story. And one of the newspaper men noticed that he had a Bible in his hand. And he said, preacher, are you ashamed of that Bible? And David Wilkerson said, no, I'm not. He said, well, hold it up then. So David held it up like this, and that was what started Teen Challenge. What was meant to be something bad and something embarrassing to a man, God used. God used. The young people on the street saw that that preacher stood up for him, and they accepted him. They protected him. That began the Teen Challenge ministry. So we go into the hardest of the hard, and we look for them, and we find them, and we bring them out, and we tell them that Jesus loves them. That's what we do. We tell them that Jesus loves them. And we've got some people here in this state that need to know that despite what they've done in their past, hallelujah, your story is no longer a detriment to you if you'll accept Christ and walk with him. Your story is no longer a negative in your life if you'll accept Christ and walk with Him. Your story in God's kingdom turns into what He calls a testimony. A testimony to God's grace. And if you read Revelation, it says that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Many people know Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz is one of the hardest young men on the streets of New York City. Had murdered people. He's now an evangelist. He was in Paris the week before the massacres. Had an evangelistic meeting in the exact same location, in the exact same hall that all them people died. He was there preaching life. 
and telling people that Jesus loves them. So that's what we do every single day. Evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. Each one of us have a story. Every single one of us in this room get to a point to where we have to bow the knee. And we have to say, you're Lord. Some are a little more dramatic than others. I have my story. God called me in the ministry at the age of three. And I ran. It scared the living daylights out of me. And I finally accepted Christ up here at Minot Air Force Base. In a dormitory room at two o'clock in the morning watching the 700 Club. That's my story. I had hair. Some of you ladies don't have hair as long as I had. I had a hair all the way down in the middle of my back, riding the motorcycles, running from God, because I knew He had a call in my life. About two years ago, the Lord told me that these young men and women that come into Teen Challenge, they have a call in their life. And the enemy saw that, and he's tried to kill them. He's tried to kill them. They're leaders in our churches if they'll accept Christ and follow Him. That's their call. That's why I'm involved in this ministry. When I walked into my office every single morning, I walked in with a smile. Because I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. And it gives me energy every single day. It's just a wonderful thing. I love these guys. I love these ladies. They're good people. They just got a really good story, too. That's now in God's kingdom and called a testimony. It's called a testimony. And every single one of us need to have our testimony. We have to come to that point to where we can share with people that Jesus loves you. And I know that Jesus loves you because he loved me. He loved me. Come up here, Matt. I've given these young men five minutes each. Each one of them is a man in our program. And how... So what you're, now we have four phases in the program. They're roughly three months each because we are a 12-month program. And you are getting ready for phase three, correct? Yes, Monday. Monday. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I'm Matt, born and raised in Williston, uh, 26 years old. Uh, I started drinking and using drugs at a young age, pretty young. Um, started smoking pot constantly when I was probably about like 13. Ended up going to prison several times for selling pain pills. Well, I got that progressively my drug addiction got worse. I went from smoking pot to, you know, pills and then whatever else. But I ended up in and out of prison, in and out of jail my whole life. Been locked up quite a bit. Um, and then I got out of prison the last time. I had a three-year-old. I had a son. He's four now. Uh, he's he's my life. He's my world. He's everything to me. Um, but that wasn't enough. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is it doesn't if when when drugs and satan's got a hold of you it doesn't matter and eventually i got well i got bad into meth and the oil boom started and with the oil boom came everybody else everybody and their mom from all over the world and it made it that much easier for me to get drugs and use drugs and my addiction just progressively got worse and i ended up selling meth but when I went to jail the last time, after me and my wife split up, I went to jail the last time. And when I got out, my brother and sister-in-law showed me a picture of my son. This was the turning point for me. This is what made me decide to give my life to Christ, make me decide that I couldn't do it on my own. 
make me realize I couldn't do it on my own, but they showed me a picture of my son when I was in jail. He was sleep. They saw it as cute, and, you know, my son was sleeping with my hat. But my son missed me so much. He missed his father so much that he was grabbing on. He was clinging to the only thing he could find of his father because his dad wasn't around because I was too busy being worthless and doing meth and just running and doing my own thing. I didn't care about anything or anybody. And Satan tried to use that picture to get to me to try. Shortly after that, or before that, no, is after that, I tried committing suicide with heroin. It didn't work. The Lord told me the reason why it didn't work is because he was with me. He held me. He has bigger plans for me. He made sure I didn't die. But it was because but Satan tried to use that picture to take my life, to take me off this earth. But that was his biggest mistake because now I'm at a teen challenge. I've given my life to God, and I'm, I wake up every day, and I, I thank God for making me a new man, making me the father I need to be, showing me how to be the father I need to be, showing me how to be the person I need to be and be a soldier for him. So, thank you. Now, this next guy is a a really good friend of mine. At least every day we're becoming better friends. So, come on up here, Chris. Tell him, brother. Hello. Um, not many of you out there, but you still make me nervous. So. <laughs> I told him that they're not, not nervous, they shouldn't be up there. <sighs> well, I got that one checked off. So. I'm, uh, I'm Chris, 26 years old. I was born and raised in Fargo, North Dakota. You know, at uh, about age 14 and 15, you know, uh, as a young man, that's a... That's a difficult time, and that's, that's a time when a, a young man's going through what I would call an identity crisis. And you're looking to find what's going to separate you from the boy you used to be and catapult you into um, the man you're trying to be. And as a lot of people know, drugs and alcohol, partying and having sex and smoking cigarettes, it can really feel like... You found a shortcut to becoming a man. Those things, they're toxic. They, you know, I was just a boy yesterday, but here I am today with a 30-pack of beer or of 10 people calling me for a bag of weed or everybody at school coming to me because they say, I got the party to go to tonight. You know, after the hockey team we were done with, we went to my house and popped ecstasy. And that made me feel like I had some kind of true identity. I really related to that, and that empowerment and that, that picture of what a man was supposed to be, sleeping with girls and being the guy everybody wanted to call and hang out with. That was, that was a dangerous thing for me. When I was 20 years old, my son was born. He's six now, and... That was, you know, that was a blessing in my life. But when you're, when you're in the middle of the, the grips of addiction and going down that road, it doesn't matter how much your family loves you or the children that you have. You love your children this much. You love your son this much. I love my son this much. But meth, meth takes a new, a new level. And it's just, it's overpowering and. Before you know it, 
I'm 22 years old and I'm shooting up meth six times a day. I'm committing robberies every other day and burglarizing farms and businesses. You know, could you imagine, do you have grandchildren and boyfriends and husbands and do you imagine watching a person that you thought you knew, a person that you grew up or watched grow up from a good child to sit in there shooting up six times a day? Could you just try to put yourself in a hopeless situation that me and my family and I have a son, a little boy who's going to grow up without a father? before you know it the law starts catching up with you and you're wanted in this county and that county and you're looking at going to prison so no matter what you do you're condemned to what the judge is going to tell you so what are you going to say I'm just going to give up at this point turn myself in to be incarcerated to you know, an indefinite amount of time until otherwise notified it seems like the weight of your past choices weigh you down so much that it's like it's hopeless to turn the other direction. The only thing in the other direction, if I make the right choice, is condemnation. I'm going down for what I did. So I just keep digging a deeper and deeper hole. No hope. No hope. Your family's hopeless. You're hopeless. Before you know it, the law catches up with you. And I'm sitting... In the courtroom, and the, the judge tells me, I'm looking at 28 years minimum to life. I'm like, what are you? You've got the wrong guy. Because my grandma lives right down the block. She'll come pick me up right now. They don't play games. They don't give you second chances. Your second chance is up. This is man's world. And you're at his mercy. At that point, I'm sitting behind wall and wall of concrete, behind locked and locked door, and I'm desperate. There's, my family can't bail me out. It's a $100,000 bail. I'm, des- I'm powerless. I'm desperate. And, that's, and that desperation I, at 2 in the morning in a cell was just deafening quiet. I call out to a God I don't even know. I say, God, you've got to hear me, Lord. Somebody hear me. I'm sorry. I don't want my son to grow up without me. I don't want my grandparents to die and I can't see them. I ended up getting five years in prison. Thank the Lord for that. And about halfway through my stay, I ended up in Ottertail County on a writ, taking care of another charge. And some people from Teen Challenge, they came into this place and they spoke to me and they I heard testimonies of guys who were worse off than me, and they changed their life through the power of Jesus Christ. I said, I want that. And I started reading the word, and, and I could just feel it coming alive inside of me. This is not a book with words to me. This is real. I don't stand up in front of people and make this stuff up. If you knew me before, that's not Chris Miller standing up there. But I've died to that old man. I agree that the spirit inside of me testifies that this is truth and that I'm a child of God. And I believe it with all my heart. I will never be the same. 
I can't be the same. I know the truth now. God's love gave me a reason to change and his spirit gave me the will. Love seemed so unconditional to me before or seemed so conditional. If you have a boyfriend and he cheats on you, it's over. If you have a stepdad and he beats you, he's gone. So I had such a resentment towards love until I understood God's love. He said, all those choices you made, Chris. And I said, I'm a terrible person. He said, stand up, son. Stand up. I got something for you. I love you in spite of you, not because of you. Boy, that changed my world. That changed my world. My family has hope today. They, they can't believe it. If you would have bought a lottery ticket or me changing, they'd have taken the lottery ticket before, I think, you know. Because that's the safer gamble. I think you're making a good investment there. <laughs> Look at me today, though. I'm about to go. I can't even sing where the darn, and I'm going to go sing in, a, in front of a whole group of people in Fargo to testify what God's doing in my life. I don't, I'm scared to do it, but that's what God wants me to do, and I don't care if I look silly. All right. I appreciate you guys listening to me. Thank you. Come on, Ken. I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to preach. Yeah, I know. I got you. You are? Okay, I got all, right. all right. I got you. Now, now, Chris is in phase three, right? Yes, sir. Ken is in phase four. Yeah. Okay? You're starting your transition back into reentry. Hi. Um, hi, my name's Ken. I'm from, uh, uh, well, you're probably wondering what's my problem. Well, I'm from California. Uh, <laughs> try not to hold that against me. Um, no. No. Um, uh, I, I, uh, in, in 2008, I, uh, I lost everything in a very short amount of time. Uh, <clears throat> uh, my wife's uh, son, who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain stem tumor, uh, passed away. Um, I lost my job, my uh, great job. I was putting up buildings all over, all over the Sacramento area. And, uh, then, uh, yeah, then my wife left me. Then uh, had to move in with my mom. My grandmother died. Um, I didn't take it too well. Uh, for the next, uh, for the next uh, six, seven years, I bounced around from did in job to did in job. Um, miserable. Uh, uh, you know, we could going from making a good amount of money to losing everything and barely being able to find an eight dollar an hour job it was it was pretty uh pretty depressing so anyway i i uh i turned to alcohol uh really heavily and uh finally in about nine months ago ten months ago i was uh i was desperate i was tired of uh, of feeling uh hopeless um and uh without any anything going for me i was finally uh, tired of drinking myself i was trying to drink myself to death and uh so finally i reached out and i i, I uh, cried out to god and i said uh god what do you want me to do and uh you know luckily i i knew of a place i could change i can i can turn to uh, because i was 
brought up in the church. And uh, so I knew about Teen Challenge. And I, uh, I remember when I was a, a young boy, uh, David Wilkerson came to our, our church, I think. Um, and uh, so anyway, I knew where to turn. So I started looking through the phone. I was like, all right, what, what do, okay, what do you want me to do? So I called every warm weather Teen Challenge there was in the United States. We have warm weather in the summer. I called Texas. I called Florida. I called Hawaii even. <laughs> and I'm flipping through and God says you're going to North Dakota. I said, really? Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to graduate now. And, and uh, you know, it's amazing. Um, uh, being the senior uh, um, uh, student there at Teen Challenge, it's amazing seeing the growth uh, of you guys and, you know, the growth that I'm experiencing. Um, it's amazing. I can't wait to see what God has in store for me. Um, I'm completely letting him take the wheel, just like the song. So uh, we'll see where, where we go from here. So thanks. Turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Verse eighteen. Peter speaking here says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I want you to notice that grace and knowledge is an action words or are action words. Because Peter says we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. God's grace is not intended only for salvation or only beginning our discipleship journey with the Lord. But grow in the grace and the knowledge. Grow. Growth in Christ Maturing and learning to walk with Christ each and every day always is a result of and always results as God's grace works in us. I'm going to say that again. Growing in Christ, maturing and learning to walk with Christ each day always results as God's grace works in us. Some people today, and rightfully so in some instances, get a little apprehensive about the focus upon God's grace. They become concerned that irresponsibility or ungodliness or laziness or even indulgence results from the emphasis. But we have confidence. We have confidence and rest in the promises and the purposes of God. 
that a true biblical understanding of God's grace does not produce ungodly living. Ungodly living always involves our sinful nature and its and its acts of disobedience to the commands and the expectations of godly living. And that nature is inclined to lasciviousness and legalism. Lasciviousness hopes to turn God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross into a means by which sinful indulgence is acceptable. Jude, verse 4 says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The word lasciviousness in the Greek is aseldia, and it means unbridled lust, excess, wantonness, outrageousness, and shamelessness. That's what lasciviousness means. And there are some people who are trying to turn the grace of God into that license. And as Jude says, they were marked out long time ago for this condemnation. Because I got news for you. God's grace cost a lot. Legalism aspires to add religious performance to grace. Thereby appealing to the self-righteous hopes of man. Galatians chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? These people believe that God's grace, with its full and complete pardon of our past sins, is only for that time of our lives, and does not extend into our growth stage in our relationship with Jesus. They also will claim that the true grace of God can lead to loose living and forget that God's grace is there to actually help you into godly living. The Bible says that when a person truly lives by the grace of God, righteousness results, not ungodliness. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for or because you are not under the law, but under grace. If you're under the law, the performance of legalism, sin will have dominion over you. But if you're under grace, sin will no longer have dominion over you. We were talking about this on the way up here. It's absolutely mind-boggling. How can grace free me from my habits? It can. And it does. As a person increasingly learns to draw upon God's grace for daily living, Christ's likeness develops, not worldliness. As grace becomes our resource for life, sin diminishes. It does not increase. 
The temptation is because of our lack of understanding of what God's grace performs in our lives. To rely upon the law of God in order to generate godliness. We accept Christ, have a newfound desire to obey God, and then come to realize we are still sinners. And the demand of the law to be holy, loving, and perfect stares us in the face. We begin to look for something to hold on to, to become a sense of security. We forget, or we don't even understand, that it is the grace of God in our daily lives that is what we should hold on to. And in so doing, we think that by hearing and repeating or striving to meet the demands of the law of God, we can thereby accomplish godly living. And I've got news for you. You can't. You have to hold on to God's grace. I've accept, I accepted Christ in 1984. I'm 32 years old in the Lord. And I want you to know that every single morning when I look in that mirror, I have to reconvince myself that he loves me. That he cares for me. That his grace extends to today. Not just 32 years ago. We forget what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. That the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. And God's grace is that better hope that does not fail to bring forth what God desires in our lives. The Lord has ordained for us a lifelong involvement with His grace. He wants to work grace upon grace, as it says in John 1, for the rest of our days. And this is the new and living way that Paul spoke about in Hebrews chapter 10. Perhaps this all could be summarized with another acronym on grace. Glorious realities as Christ empowers. This is what we teach these men and women. That it's the grace of God that leads people to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Yes, we have discipline. We do. But that doesn't bring about godliness. What that brings about is the ability to live in a community. In our communities. We have laws. And that's the reason why we obey those laws. So we can have peace. But inward peace. And inward satisfaction. And inward justification. And a relationship with Christ. Comes from God's grace. And from what he did for us on the cross. Pastor, thank you so much for inviting us. God bless you.